Good morning. We're finishing up the letter of um, Peter to the churches in, um, in Galatia. And so if you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. David prayed about peace, that the Lord gives peace in the midst of trials. And that's really our focus this morning is um, on trials, how to navigate um, through those in our lives, and ultimately we will know the Lord's peace. But um, uh, a couple of questions here by review. To whom did Peter address this epistle? Who, uh, to whom was he writing? We find that in um, chapter 1, verse 1, in his, um, his salutation, he says, um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion. And so um, uh, he's writing to pilgrims. In chapter 2, verse 11, he says, he refers to them as sojourners and pilgrims. Well, we kind of understand what a pilgrim is. He's a, he's a traveler. But what's a sojourner? Um, sojourner is a stranger, that's uh, the King James translation, uh, a wanderer, an alien. So um, Peter's addressing uh, those who are wandering. They're, um, they're not of the world. In fact, uh, Jesus told his followers in John 15, he said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. So um, Peter's addressing pilgrims and sojourners. A.P. Carter um, wrote the song, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm just a passing through. Our pilgrimage is brief, especially when compared to the eternal glory that Peter's going to refer to in his letter. Uh, so they were not only pilgrims and sojourners, but they were persecuted. They were suffering for right doing, that is, for doing the right thing, not for wrongdoing. Nevertheless, by their old nature, these believers were prone to independence and pride. They uh, were spiritually prone to spiritual laxity and carelessness toward, um, toward truth. And uh, they worried. They, were, um, they tended to worry. And so Peter's going to address each of these uh, in, his, um, in his portion, this portion of his letter this morning. We're going to take a page from the Pilgrim Handbook and learn better how to live amid the reverses of life. The Lord Jesus promised abundant life. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And yet these dear believers found that life includes a lot of trials, some heavy trials. Had they taken a wrong turn along the way? Had they missed the Lord's guidance? No, Peter assured them, Beloved, 
Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Don't think it's strange that there are trials in your life. They're, um, they're kicking you. They're, uh, they're grieving you. Um, Peter says, um, it's not a strange thing that's happened to you. And Peter will mention in, his, um, in this portion this morning, he says, the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Don't think yourself unique in your trials. There are other people who are going through what you're going through. This morning, we'll look at several keys to navigating the storms of life, and uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and read 1 Peter 5, starting at verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll look at um, several keys, as I mentioned, to uh, dealing with these trials in life. The first one in verses 5 through 7 is to humble yourselves, clothe yourselves with, uh, with humility. Uh, the second one in verses 8 and 9, resist the devil. He is your adversary. He's your opponent. He's after your destruction. Resist him. Third, recognize God's purpose for the trials and accept, receive the provision that he offers Uh, That's in verses 10 and 11. And then Peter closes his letter with some parting thoughts in verses 12 through 14. Okay, Um, Peter says, uh, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. Peter had already referred to um, several uh, lines of authority, if you will. (coughs) He, um, He wrote about citizens submitting to governmental authority. In, first, uh, in this letter, chapter 2, verse 13, he said, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors. There's that governmental authority. And then servants to masters. In uh, chapter 2, verse 18, he said, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but 
also to the harsh. A third authority is uh, wives um, to husbands, submitting to husbands. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. That was chapter 3, verse 1. Peter instructs the young people, likewise, to submit themselves to the elders. Why is this important? Young people? Well, Bill McDonald suggests several reasons in his commentary. He says um, that these elders, these overseers, have wisdom that comes from experience in the things of God. We should learn from their experience. Um, second, they have a deep experiential knowledge of the Word of God. You want to tap into uh, expertise, uh, consult your elders, ask them for advice, for counsel, for guidance. And then uh, they are the ones to whom God has given responsibility for the care of his sheep. The elders have this huge responsibility for your spiritual nourishment and care. Reasons for you younger to submit yourselves to the elder. Uh, and uh, yes, all of you be sub submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. All right, put on your thinking caps. Can governing authorities be submissive to its citizens? Can masters or employers be submissive to their slaves or their employees? Can husbands submit to their wives? Can elders submit to other saints in the congregation? Peter says, all of you be submissive to one another. Yes, in the context that Peter's offering here, the context is humility. And as um, we, in authority, humble ourselves before another, we're, in effect, submitting to them. The, uh, the authorities esteem those better than themselves whom they're leading. They look at, uh, they look at the, um, the employees, they look at the uh, husband looks at his wife and esteems her better than himself. Yes, that's, uh, that's submitting. That's, um, that's humbling himself. Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, let nothing be done through ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus set the standard. He is Lord of heaven and earth, yet he put our interests ahead of his own. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We, um, we submit to others by honoring them, giving preference to them. Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. We humble ourselves. We, we prefer the other's benefit and comfort. 
and we look out for others' interests ahead of our own. Peter says, be clothed with humility. We may pass over that um, fairly quickly, but um, what does that mean, be clothed with humility? Peter's not talking about um, uh, wedding garments. He's not talking about uh, lavish apparel, but um, rather the picture here is of a Roman slave tying on his apron that identifies him as a bond servant as a bond slave. Moffat, James Moffat, in his translation of the Bible, translated, put on the apron of humility. And so, this is what I do at home. It seems to work better there. When I'm, when I'm making a mess in the kitchen, I. I, uh, I just put on an apron. We, um, we see this supremely exemplified in our Lord Jesus in uh, John 13. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. The Lord Jesus wore the apron of a servant, of a bond slave. And this humility is more than an attitude, it's a working virtue. Peter gives uh, several reasons for girding on this apron of humility. The first one in verse 5 is that God resists the proud. The, a proud person is um, one who thinks of himself above others. He's got a superior attitude. A believer may attempt great things for God, but if he carries an air of high-mindedness, of self-superiority, God opposes him. And that word oppose, uh, the word that uh, Peter uses here, God resists the proud, is a military term. And it means to array uh, an army in battle. So, um, um, so uh, Kenneth Wiest, in his um, in his uh, book on Bible words, he says that pride calls out God's army. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. In Isaiah 57, we read, Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And uh, in Isaiah again, um, uh, 66.2, On this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. God commits his strength to breaking our pride, but in his omnipotence, he can't resist a contrite and humble spirit. This is wonderfully illustrated in a story that our Lord Jesus told 
in, uh, in Luke 18, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus' comment on this story was, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God rejected the, uh, the prayer of the proud, but he lifted up the humble by justifying him. Pride is insidious or crafty. Humility is elusive, slippery, hard to keep. A riddle um, you may know already, what may a person have that the moment he claims it, it's gone? Humility. When I claim that I'm humble, I'm actually uh, boasting in my humility and uh, falling into the trap of pride. Humility is elusive. But when we humble ourselves, God doesn't have to humble us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus taught. In verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What was true among men is especially true before God. We must humble ourselves we must take our lowly place before him for several reasons. Uh, first, because he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Second, because his hand is mighty. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is sovereign. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, Daniel wrote. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Who can restrain his hand? Or who can say to him, what have you done? God will exalt the humble. It's his rule. Jesus uh, finished the story of those two men by saying, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. To exalt simply means to lift up, in uh, James 4.10, we read, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. In due time, he may exalt you in due time. When is due time? When does the Lord exalt his, his pilgrims? Well, is it in this lifetime, or is it at his, um, at his judgment seat in glory? Well, both. Both. He exalts his pilgrims now and in the time to come. There's um, a fourth reason. Let's uh, review these for my sake. Fourth reason for uh, humbling ourselves. Uh, God resists the proud. Um, his hand is mighty. He will exalt the humble. 
And then a fourth reason is that God cares for you. We may think that God is a tyrant arbitrarily putting, arbitrarily putting down the mighty from their thrones and exalting the lowly. But that's not God. God cares for his children as a compassionate father. This is a compelling motive for us to submit to him, to humble ourselves before the Lord, because he does care. We're to cast our care on him. That uh, casting is um, taking uh, all our cares. It's, um, it's not just as they come, but uh, saying uh, once in a lifetime, casting all my cares. I take the whole past, present, future cares, and I, I cast them, I roll them upon the Lord, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. There is an anxious care that belongs to us, There is uh, an affectionate care that belongs to God. God cares for you. And over our anxious care is God's affectionate care. Bill McDonald writes in his commentary, worry is sin because it denies the wisdom of God. It says that God doesn't know what he's doing. Worry denies the love of God. It says he doesn't care. Worry denies the power of God. It says that he isn't able to deliver me from whatever is causing me to worry. Last week I bumped into a brother whom I hadn't seen in quite a while. And um, I asked, How, how's your family doing? And uh, he unburdened a uh, story uh, of his son at death's door. I mean, as we were talking, his, his son was, uh, had a life-threatening disease. And um, as he was explaining the particulars, I was, uh, I was watching to perceive any uh, bitterness or uh, anxiety in, in this brother's um, speech. And uh, at the end of uh, him relating this, this trial, he said, God is in control. God is in control. It wasn't a resignation. It was a, um, it was a trust. God's in control. Then he began another trial, telling me about another trial, just as severe as the first, and a third, and a fourth. And... Uh, he said, God is in control. God is in control. And I, I thought, um, I, I, I staggered away from our conversation with all this, um, all this bad news, but with the comfort that the one, um, the one who can make a difference cares for you. He's in control. And this dear brother was, um, was resting in that care. Carolina Sandel um, seemed to capture this trust in her poem, day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best, lovingly as part 
It's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. We used to sing a chorus in, uh, in our meetings, and I wish we'd sing it regularly. God is still on the throne, and he will remember his own. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, he never will leave us alone. God is still on the throne. He never forsaketh his own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. That's our first key to navigating the storms of life is to humble ourselves, to clothe ourselves with humility. The second is to be on guard against the devil. Peter writes in verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Be sober. That's, um, that means to be serious-minded. Don't, don't joke about uh, eternity and uh, about uh, spiritual things, about rea unseen realities. Don't be careless, but um, be serious, Paul, uh, Peter says. Be vigilant, that is, be watchful, be alert. Look at what's going on around you. Realize that, uh, that you're in a fight. The devil is the pilgrim's adversary, enemy, opponent. He's, uh, he's committed to your destruction and to God's uh, reproach. He walks about, that is, uh, he prowls. He's, uh, he's prowling this morning. He's looking for victims. Like a roaring lion, loud, intimidating, threatening. What does he sound like? Turn on the radio, listen to your podcast, watch TV. There's the voice of Satan uh, through uh, politicians, through leaders, through theologians, hammering away at the, uh, the truth of God, uh, doubting his faithfulness, questioning his word, blaspheming his name. That's the voice of Satan. It comes through threatening, intimidating, fierce, loud, when? When do we hear him? When our trials are fiercest, when the storm is blowing its, its hardest. The voices um, want to move us away from the Lord's protection and care. The devil seeks whom he may devour. He's, he's looking. He's, uh, he's active. He sought to sift Peter like wheat back before the Lord's uh, trial and crucifixion. How would he devour the believer? Seeking whom he may devour. How does he do that? Well, by successfully tempting him to doubt God's word, to question his promises. Wasn't that the master stroke that the devil used uh, to Eve when he said, has God really said? Eve had to think about it. Uh, has God really said? Hmm, maybe not. It was a master stroke. When the believer is doubting, he's discouraged, he's paralyzed from further usefulness and service to the Lord. That's when the devil has devoured a believer. 
when he destroys the testimony of a believer is, uh, is when he devours the believer. Thankfully, the devil has limitations. He walks about. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once. He's got to search. He's got to seek, okay? He aspires for deity, and yet uh, he's not. He's not God. And um, we can resist him. He's not all-powerful. Praise the Lord. So the apostle Peter instructs the, um, the pilgrims to resist, that is, to withstand, to oppose the, um, the evil one. He doesn't say to strive against. He doesn't say to attack or to uh, actively warfare, to take the offensive against the devil. We don't fight the devil. The devil is God's... Uh, Originally, God's wisest and most powerful created being. While we can't take the offensive, we can stand our ground. He says, uh, resist him steadfast in the faith. The key there is faith. Faith. Steadfast means to be firm, solid, hard. Psalm 112 says that um, the believer will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Faith is a weapon of defense, as um, Paul is quick to point out in Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And then uh, several verses later, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Brother and sister, take the shield of faith as your defense against the attack of the, um, the evil one. Trust the Lord. Don't fear the devil. Resist him. And then um, realize that your sufferings are common to others. He says in, um, in verse 9, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We, we sympathize with you. Um, we may not go through the trial you're going through, but we've gone through similar trials, and we, uh, we seek to comfort you in your uh, pain. Uh, third key uh, first was to humble ourselves, be clothed with humility. Second, resist the devil. And then third, to rely on God's calling. Uh, verse 10, but the, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Isn't it sweet that um, he who cares for you so tenderly and personally 
is also the God of all grace, the God of every grace. He's already proven himself in saving us. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So he is the God of every grace, the fount of every blessing. God's call is effective. That is, um, uh, he will accomplish his purpose because his glory is in view. He calls us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. God derives glory for himself by saving us. It's a tremendous uh, exhibition, a manifestation of his love, his power, his wisdom to save you and me. God provides his pilgrims all needed grace until we arrive safely in glory. And this, uh, uh, his own glory is involved in keeping his pilgrims safe until they reach their destination. Well, God calls um, people to his eternal glory. How do I know if God has called me? How do I know if God uh, has called me to his eternal glory? It's a very simple answer to that um, by the way you respond to his invitation. Okay? We, um, we looked at several invitations during our worship meeting, and God extends his invitation to you. Um, Isaiah 55, I want to turn there. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. God uh, is offering riches beyond expense to those who have nothing, a real picture of, of us in our need for salvation. We have nothing. We're, we're spiritually impoverished. We're actually in debt. We owe the Lord. But um, Jesus taught in John 5, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. There's an invitation. He who hears my word and comes to, uh, to him who sent me uh, shall not come into judgment but has everlasting life. Have you received that? Have you accepted that invitation? Or here's another. Uh, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. God has promised, God has provided free access to heaven through the substitutionary death of his son, Jesus Christ. All you have to do is receive it. God's done all the work. All you have to do is accept it, receive it as your own, and uh, you will uh, realize his calling to eternal glory. And so I urge you, if you haven't received the Lord Jesus, if you haven't uh, taken him as your own savior, your own sacrifice on the cross, receive him today. Accept him as your own. Well, 
Peter goes on to say that uh, you have suffered a while. You pilgrim believers have suffered a little while. But um, it is a little while. Our pilgrimage is short. Our suffering is, um, is brief. And um, our pain is momentary. Paul wrote the Corinthians, he said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The, the contrast there between our light affliction and uh, the eternal weight of glory. One is but for a moment, the other is eternal. And um, Peter, uh, Peter calls the believer's attention to this. You're, you're suffering a little while, a little while. Also, in uh, chapter 1 uh, of Peter's letter, he said, he wrote this, Now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The pilgrim's endurance brings praise, honor, and glory to the Lord Jesus. But it also gives God the opportunity to give us something that we would not receive otherwise, okay? It's not only praise, honor, and glory to God, but uh, God's going to give us something through our endurance as well. He says... Um, in verse, uh, the end of verse 10, that he's going to um, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Perfect. The word means to equip, to complete, to supply all the elements in the believer's character that he needs to, uh, to be mature, to serve, to finish his course. The same word is used in Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete. That word uh, is uh, perfect. He's going to perfect you. In every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So God will, um, he's going to supply what you need uh, through the trial. And you get to keep it. He doesn't, uh, it's not temporary. Uh, second thing is that he establishes, that is, um, he's going to make the pilgrim firm, stable, steadfast, reliable, through uh, proper response to trials. The third is that he strengthens he gives the believer, the pilgrim, strength to overcome the trial. I called um, the Costanzo household um, a month or so ago, and I, I said, uh, Dorothy answered the phone, and I, I said, Dorothy, I have a, have a verse for Angelo. Um, would you mind giving him the verse? And um, it's uh, Psalm 71, 16, I, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. And Dorothy said, that's my verse. That's mine. <laughs> You grabbed it before uh, you could give it to Angelo, but uh, there's a verse for you and Angelo and the other uh, pilgrims 
uh, on journey is, um, I will go in the strength of the Lord. Um, we, we sing that hymn, um, He Gives More Grace, and uh, eventually we're going to run out of strength if we're in our own strength. And we're going to notice, uh, notice as, we, um, as we rely on God's strength that there's a sudden shift. There's a sudden uh, uh, second wind, if you will. There's, um, there's a power to overcome as I look to him. Yeah, uh, I, can, I can struggle, I can try, uh, I can fight in my own, on my own, but uh, it's when I, I uh, shift over to God's strength that um, we're into overdrive now and uh, we're, we're moving ahead, okay? I will go in the strength of the Lord God. And then to settle um, is to firmly place with a strong foundation. So he's going to perfect, um, uh, that is to equip, to establish, um, and to strengthen and settle you. In view of God's uh, dealings with us, in view of the marvelous way which God overrules persecution and suffering for his glory and for our good, Peter um, exalts the Lord. He, um, uh, he bursts forth in praise. Uh, to God, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, glory is praise, honor. To him be the praise and honor. And the uh, dominion there refers to God's manifested power, his sovereignty. And um, these are things that belong to God. In uh, the previous chapter of this letter, Paul, uh, Peter wrote, In all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. They belong to him. Let's give those to him. We realize how much he owns them when he powers us through trials. Peter closes his letter in uh, verse 12 with a personal appreciation for Silvanus. He says uh, he's a faithful brother, not, um, not because of what others have said, uh, but I know, I know him. Uh, this is my estimation of him. I consider him faithful. I've um, written to you briefly, um, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. This is Paul, uh, Peter's purpose for writing. Uh, he wants to assure the pilgrims that they've made no mistake. They didn't take a wrong turn, but um, this uh, faith that they have, this trust in the Lord, is uh, true grace in which you stand. And uh, Peter's reference to grace here, the true grace of God is the eighth reference that he's made in this letter to God's grace. In verse 13, um, Paul conveys greetings. She who is in Babylon, uh, elect together with you, greets you. Admittedly, that's obscure. Um, uh, Babylon um, uh, had a Jewish presence, and uh, perhaps there was a church there, and Peter is uh, giving these, um, these saints greetings from that church. Mark may have been Peter's own son in the flesh, but it was probably John Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, uh, who had um, been so close with, um, with Peter that uh, he could uh, write 
the Gospel of Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Bill McDonald writes in his commentary that the obligation of brotherly love is a standing order for the church, though the manner of expressing it may vary in cultures and times. Peace to you all. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. What more fitting benediction could there be to uh, a group of believers or groups of believers who were enduring persecution for the name of Jesus Christ? Peace. Peace to all of you. uh, Peter finishes in a similar way that he began back in um, chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. In conclusion, by way of application, God provides his pilgrims all that they need to navigate the storms of life. He's not left us orphans. He's not forsaken us. He's he's fully provided for us. Our responsibility is to humble ourselves, to clothe ourselves with humility, and to rely, recognize his provision, and then to rely on that provision as we go through the trials of life. Let's pray. We're so grateful, Lord, for you being the God of all grace, for you caring for us so personally, so um, intimately, so powerfully, and it's a joy to serve you um, in this brief pilgrimage. We, we hurt um, in our trials. We suffer. We, um, we grieve. And yet uh, we, we know that you're on the throne and uh, that you are working out, you're uh, overruling these, uh, these trials to, um, to perfect us, to um, establish us, to strengthen us, and to settle us. And uh, it, it causes us to burst out in praise. To you be the glory and the dominion, because you're, you're, you're sovereign, you're all-wise, and um, uh, we, we want to prove uh, your goodness as we go through this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.